Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Praise Band, for leading us in worship. You know, we've been talking about Inspire for the last few months now, and just, just think, a week away. Next Sunday, we will be in the middle of Inspire, and I'm so looking forward to it. You know, I was thinking that some of you will probably get more out of Inspire than other people will. And the reason that some of you will get more out of Inspire than others is because some of you will put more into Inspire than others. And so what you put into it is a lot of times what you get out of it. But I am praying, and I know that you're praying, that God will bring a spiritual renewal in my heart as well as in your heart. I'm praying that we will see God work in our church like maybe he has not done in a long time. And I'm just praying for the power of God to be evident in our lives. And I hope that's your heart's desire as well. So before we go any further, would you just pause with me just for a moment and let's just go to the Lord in prayer together. Well, Lord, I just thank you right now for who you are. I thank you for um, the privilege of being able to be here and worship together as the body of Christ. And uh, sometimes we just take that for granted, but hopefully we've learned a very valuable lesson that it is a privilege and honor and a joy to be able to worship together in a place like this. And so we're so thankful that you allow us to be able to meet together and praise your name and study your word together and fellowship with one another. And Lord, I do realize right now that there are distractions that are diverting our attention. And I pray that you'll give us a, a central focus on you this morning. I thank you that you can work despite us, that you work not because of us, but because of who you are. And I just pray that you would work in our hearts. I pray for Inspire. I pray for what that's going to mean to our church family. But Lord, I just pray that you begin Inspire this very morning. I pray that we don't have to wait for a week for you to inspire us, but you can do it even this morning. I pray that our hearts will be in tune, that we'll listen intently to what you want us to hear this morning. Remove all those distractions that are diverting our attention so that we can hear from you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles or turn on to Philippians chapter 3, verse really 4 and following. And I want us to discover this morning how you can experience spiritual renewal, not just a moment in time, but something that will be enduring. Because I don't want a spiritual renewal to be just a moment. I want it to be an enduring impact and effect in our lives. And so in Philippians chapter 3 and in verse 10, the Apostle Paul made this statement. He said that I may know Christ. That I may know Him. And so no, no matter what you do in life, you have to know some things, don't you? I mean, if you're going to be successful in life, you have to know some things. For example, if you're in business then you need to know your customer. If you are on a sports team, then you need to know your role on that team. Yeah, if you are playing sports and you're in the middle of the game, you need to know your goal. What's your goal? If you're a teacher or a preacher or a public speaker, you need to know your audience. If you're on the battlefield, you need to know your enemy. If you're living in America, you need to know your rights because they are quickly evaporating and we need to know our rights. And if you want to have a spiritual renewal that will endure for more than just a moment in time, you need to know Christ and Him intimately. And Paul said, I want to know Him. He's, he's saying, I'm, I don't just want to know about Him, but I want to know Jesus. It's, it's not just who you know, but it's how you know Jesus. 
And the Apostle Paul said, I want to know him. Now you might be saying, well, I thought the Apostle Paul, by the time he wrote Philippians, I thought he already knew Christ. I mean, if we all remember, back in Acts chapter 9, and you remember the story, Paul was called Saul at that time. His, later his name changed to Paul, but he was known as Saul. And Saul was a hater of Christians. He was a persecutor of Christians. And you remember the story how he was on his way to Damascus because he wanted to go arrest some Christians so he could persecute them. And while he was on the way, a bright light came down from heaven and he heard this voice and the voice said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know, the Apostle Paul never made the connection between Jesus and the church. He didn't realize when you persecute the church, in essence, you persecute Christ. And the reason he didn't know that is because he didn't even know Jesus. He may have known about Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus. And so then Saul said, well, who are you? And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. That's who I am. And so Paul came to know Jesus that day on the road to Damascus. And he learned some things about Jesus that day. First, he learned not to persecute the church. Number two, he learned that Jesus had risen from the dead and he was the one speaking to him through that bright light. Number three, he learned that God was going to use him to be a messenger of the gospel. So Paul learned a lot of things that day on the road to Damascus, but he didn't learn everything about Jesus, did he? There were some things that he still didn't know. He knew, he knew he really needed to know more about Jesus. So in Philippians, there he was sitting in a prison cell. And, if, and don't look at it right now, but in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul said, it's not that I've already attained. I haven't already arrived I'm not already perfected, but I press on because I need to know more. I started thinking about it. How many of you remember when you were dating? Now, for some of you, that's been a long time ago. But do you remember when you were dating? You knew some things about that man that you were going to marry. And maybe you knew some things about that lady that you were going to marry. But did you know everything? Did you learn some things after you got married that you didn't know before you got married? It's different whenever you date them than when you live under the same roof. When you're dating, you learn a few things, but when you get married, you learn a lot of things. You know, some of you learn that your husband or wife can't put the top on the toothpaste. Some, some of you ladies may have discovered that your husband takes his teeth out before going to bed. I heard about one man who said on the very first week after he and his wife got married, his wife came out of the bathroom and she had this mud all over her face and she had tinfoil all in her hair. He said it scared him. He looked at his wife and said, Honey, what radio stations can you pick up with all that tinfoil? You know, you learn some things, but you don't really know that person until you live with them. You're intimate. And Paul said, I want to know Christ. I want to be so close that I know him intimately. I don't want to just know about Jesus. I want to know Jesus. And it's not just who you know, but how you know. Now, some of you might not realize this, but I know a man by the name of Joe Gibbs. Do y'all know Joe Gibbs? Joe Gibbs used to coach NFL football. He was a, uh, the head coach for the Washington Redskins. And he won three Super Bowls as the head coach of the Washington Redskins. And then he retired, and in 1996, he was inducted to the NFL Hall of Fame. Well, then he moved on over to another sport. He became a NASCAR a car owner. And he has a NASCAR team called the Joe Gibbs Racing Team, and he's won five NASCAR championships. Well, I know Joe. 
In fact, I've been real close to Joe. Maybe you didn't know that. But I've been real close to Joe Gibbs. In fact, I met him one time and I had a picture with him. And I had to stand real close. So we were real close at one time. Now you might be saying, well, you don't really know Joe. You just know about Joe. I mean, you just know about the activities of Joe Gibbs, but you don't really know him. You'd had a picture with him. That doesn't mean that you know him. But you know, that's how some of us know Jesus, isn't it? We know about Jesus. We know his activity, but we don't know him personally. We don't know him intimately. But when it comes to Kathy, on the other hand, I know her. I know her intimately. You know, she can't really communicate with me and let me know what's going on with her, but I know her so well. I know her habits. I know her tendencies. I know what she likes and what she doesn't like, even without her having to say it. I know she likes a big hug when I come home. She likes that. I've been in a relationship with her a long time. I know her. I know what makes her tick, and I know what ticks her off. (laughs) I know her intimately, and I know her personally. And that's how Paul said he wanted to know Jesus. I want to know you personally and intimately. So what does it mean to know Jesus? I want you to look in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. Paul said this, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I, I even more so. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning righteousness, which is in the law, I was blameless. Paul said, you know, if I wanted to boast on how I know God, I got the credentials. But he recognized on the road to Damascus that he only knew about God. He didn't really know God. These were just false evidences of a knowledge of God. These were just superficial knowledge. It wasn't an intimate heart knowledge. It was just a head knowledge. So Paul began to look back over his life in Philippians chapter 3, and he began to recount all these credentials. He could say, you know, I could point to this, and you would you'd believe that I knew God. I mean, he could say, well, just look at my ritual. I was circumcised on the eighth day. You might be here today and say, well, you know, I must know God. I go to church every now and then. I, 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 I Look at my rituals. Look at what I do. Paul might say, well, you know, if you don't buy my ritual, look at my relationships. I was of the stock of Israel. I must be spiritual. You might be here and say, well, I must be spiritual. Look at the people that I associate with. They know God. They're close with God. I must be spiritual. I must know God. Look at my relationships. Paul could say, well, look at my respectability. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. And some people think that they know God because of the, of the church that they go to or the activities that they're involved in. And maybe they're well-respected in the community. And so they think, well, I must know God. People respect me. Paul said, well, if you don't believe that, look at my race. I'm a Hebrew. Now, you might not say look at my race, but for Paul that was important because they believed that only the Jews could be saved. And you had to be a Jew to be saved. And so that was a very important aspect. Now, you might not say that, but you could say this. Well, I was born in... To Christian parents. I was born in a Christian home. I must be, I must be uh, a Christian. I must know God. And so maybe you say, look at my race, my spiritual heritage. Paul said, you know, you could look at my religion. I was a Pharisee. You know, some, people, some people think they're saved by their religious activity. Or their Bible knowledge. 
Let me just say this. You can have a Bible under your arm and know it from cover to cover and still be lost as last year's Easter egg. I mean, it's just true. It doesn't matter how much knowledge that you have. Paul had a Ph.D. in theology. He had a master's in logic and debate, but he didn't know God. Do you know the Bible says even the demons in hell know God? In Luke chapter 4, and we're not going to look it up, but in Luke chapter 4, Jesus was in a, little, in a town called Capernaum. And he encountered a demoniac there in that town at the synagogue. And this man was, had a demon. And whenever Jesus walked up, that demon recognized Jesus. And this is what he said, I know you. You are the Holy One of Israel. So that demon could say, well, look, I know God, but if you're basing your, uh, your knowledge of God and you're comparing it just to the fact that you know the Bible or you know spiritual truth, that that means you know God, well, you just equated yourself to the same level as a demon. A demon knows that. Paul said, well, you know, you could look at my reputation. I was a persecutor of the church. You know, some people think that when they're serving God, then they're demonstrating that they know God. Now, we should serve God, don't get me wrong. But just because you serve God doesn't mean you know God. I mean, some people think, well, you know, I go on mission trips. I do some things. I, I, I'm, I'm involved in the church. You know, Paul thought he was doing God a favor when he persecuted Christians. And Paul said, well, listen, if all those things are not enough, just look at my righteousness. According to the law, I was blameless. You know, regardless of how many times we, we say it in this pulpit, you cannot be saved by good works. There are still people who are banking on getting to heaven by how good they are. We will never be able to get to heaven based on our good works. We are saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves. It's not of works. And that's what Paul said. And Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, I want to be found in him, in Christ, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but I want to have the righteousness which is by faith in Christ. That's the righteousness that I want. I want his righteousness. And so Paul said we're saved by grace through faith, not of those works. Paul basically would say, hey, you can have all those things and still not know God. But I want you to look at verses 7 through 11 for a moment. In verse 7, Paul says, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. So what Paul basically did, I don't know if you've ever seen an accounting ledger, when I was in college, I took accounting. And so you would have all your, your debits in one column and your, and your credits in another. You'd have your assets and your liabilities. And so Paul, he, he listed all of the things that he felt like were his assets. He said, well, here are my rituals. I'll put that over here. I'll put my rewards, my riches, my respectability, my righteousness, my religion. He put it all in a column and he added it up. And then he compared it to the knowledge of Christ. And when he realized all those things he had on that accounting sheet did not measure up. They did not add up. He realized he was spiritually bankrupt. Because those things did not measure up to the knowledge of Christ. And in verse 8 he says, I also count all things for loss, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Well, you know what that word rubbish is? It's really like dung. It's like excrement. It's manure, basically. He said, that's what I count all those things. That's what they are in comparison to knowing Christ. And then listen to, look, listen to verse 10. He says, that I may know him. 
and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. You know, the Greek word to know there is gnosko. Now, gnosko is not an intellectual knowledge. It's an intimate knowledge. In fact, that word, you really can't, you really can't define it with just one English word. You have to have a series of English words to really understand it. It means to know God personally, to know him intimately, to know him progressively. It means to have a heart knowledge of God, not just a head knowledge. It means to know him intimately. The word gnosko was often used to talk about how a, a husband knows his wife intimately, that close. And Paul's saying, I, I just want, I want to know Christ in that context so close that I know him. I like how the Amplified Bible expresses Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Listen carefully to how the Amplified Bible expresses it. For my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly, that I may in some way come to know that power outflowing from his resurrection, which exerts its which exerts over believers, and that I may so share his sufferings as to be continually transformed in the spirit and to his likeness, even to his death. Is that your longing? Is that your desire, to know Christ that way? Not just to know about him, but to know him. It's not just a head knowledge, but it's a heart knowledge. You know, when you have a heart knowledge of, of Jesus, you know what pleases him. When you have a heart knowledge of Jesus, you know what grieves him. You know what breaks his heart. When you have a heart knowledge of Jesus, you know what ticks him off. You know him. Do you long to know him that way? Is that your heart's desire? Now you might ask the question this morning, why is it so important that I know Christ or how I know Christ? It's very important that we have a heart knowledge of, of Jesus and not just a head knowledge. You know, most people are just infatuated with, with God. They're just fascinated by God. They're infatuated with him, but they don't know him. I mean, sometimes people will come to church, and they come to First Baptist, and they're, they're infatuated with our music because we have wonderful music. Or they might come to church, and they might get fascinated by our fellowship because we have a wonderful fellowship. We love one another. I hope you all love each other. Or maybe they come to First Baptist, and they say, hey, I see God working here. You know, they get enamored by that. Maybe they get fascinated by it, but they don't really want to know God sometimes. It's just they want to be a part of those things. Let me give you an example. Dr. Luke told a story in Acts chapter 8. There was a revival taking place in a little town called Samaria. And so Philip was down there preaching and word got back to the disciples in Jerusalem that there's a revival breaking out down in Samaria. These Samaritans are getting saved. They're open to the gospel. And the Apostle Peter and the disciples thought, well, wait, wait. I don't know if that's true. We need to go down there and investigate. We need, to, we need to make sure that this is legitimate, that this is true. I mean, can God really save Samaritans? And so they went on down to Samaria so they could find out exactly what was taking place. And when, when Peter and the apostles got down there, they realized, hey, there's a revival taking place down in Samaria. I mean, they're open to the gospel. They're confessing and repenting, and, and they are accepting Christ. There was one man that was there. His name was Simon. Simon was a sorcerer. You know what that is, right? He was involved in witchcraft. 
He was a master of the black arts. He was a master at illusion. It was all fake. But he, he mastered it. Well, he professed Christ during that time. And so Peter was excited that these people were receiving the gospel. And so he, he said, let me just pray for you. Can you come here? Let me just put my hands on you. I want to pray for you. And as he prayed for them, the power of the Holy Spirit filled those believers just like he did on the day of Pentecost with the disciples. And all of a sudden, they begin to show the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And Simon the sorcerer saw that. He said, whoa, that's awesome. He was fascinated by it. So he looked at Peter and said, Peter, can you give me that same power so that whoever I lay my hands on, they will have power like that. He said, I'll even pay you for it. I will pay you for the power to do what you just did. He was fascinated with the power of Jesus. He wanted the power of God without the knowledge of God. Peter wasn't very happy about that. Peter said to him in Acts chapter 8, verse 20, we ought to learn this lesson. Your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter. You know why? For your heart is not right. It's not right. Why is it important that we know God? Because sometimes we get infatuated with God, but we don't get diligent about knowing God. You with me? So why do we need to know God? Number one, so that we don't get perplexed. If you don't know God's heart, if you don't know God's ways, you will get perplexed when life gets out of whack. When things uh, don't make sense, you will get perplexed because you don't know the heart of God. In Acts chapter 12, there was a man by the name of King Herod. And King Herod was going after Christians. And he imprisoned a man by the name of Peter for preaching the gospel. He put Peter in prison. There's Peter thinking, this is the end for me. My life's just about over. As soon as they take me out, they're going to whack my head off. It's all over. That's what Peter was thinking. Well, the church, and by the way, if that ever happens to me, I hope that you do what this church did. But they got together and they started praying that God would deliver Peter from that prison. And they got to praying and they were praying for God to deliver Peter. And, and, uh, but you know, they really weren't believing that he could. And they didn't really believe that he would. They just were kind of going through the motions. They were praying, but they didn't really believe it. But you know what God did? God busted Peter out of prison. He busted him out. He delivered him miraculously. He took Peter out of prison, set him free. And so where's the first place that Peter wants to go? He wants to go to that praying church. And so he goes to that church. He's standing outside. He knocks on the door. Somebody comes to the door. He says, hey, this is Peter. Will you let me in? So she didn't believe it. She goes back and tells everybody else, I think Peter's at the door. They said, no, you're out of your mind. He can't be. He's in prison. Isn't that how we pray sometimes? We pray, but we don't really believe that God will act. And when life gets out of whack, if we're not really serious about praying, but we might not understand what God's doing, well, God delivered him. But you know, earlier in that same chapter, King Herod arrested another man. His name was the Apostle James. Do you know what happened with the Apostle James? He was John's brother. Well, God didn't let him go. And God didn't deliver him. And God didn't bust him out. James was beheaded by King Herod. He became the first martyr of the Christian church. Now, when those things happen, if you don't know the heart of God and you don't know the ways of God, you'll get perplexed. When God doesn't answer your prayers the way you think he ought to, you will get perplexed. See, all of us want to serve the God who uh, delivers us from our prison and busts us out. 
But how many of us want to sign up to serve the God who lets us die for Christ? And so we need to know His ways and His heart so we don't get perplexed when things get out of whack and things don't go as we thought they would. We need to know God's heart so that we don't panic when life takes unexpected turns. You need to know God's ways and you need to know God's heart because life will take unexpected turns, won't it? People get sick. You might get sick. People suffer. You might have a loved one that's close to you die. And if you don't know God's heart, you'll question God's love. If you don't know God's heart, you'll question his goodness. Think about John the Baptist. Y'all remember John the Baptist? He's down in the desert. He was preaching. He was telling everybody, Jesus is here. The Messiah is here. Uh, we're so excited. You need to come down here and, and uh, get, you know, confess your sin, come clean, repent. He's baptizing people. Everything's going wonderful. But, you know, John the Baptist was a bold preacher. And he didn't mind telling you the truth no matter who it was. Well, King Herod was one of those people. And he said to King Herod, you know, King Herod, you ought not to be sleeping with your brother's wife. That's a sin. And King Herod didn't like it. So King Herod had John the Baptist arrested. Do you remember that story? Put him in prison. And there's John the Baptist in prison. All of a sudden, he starts to panic. Well, this is not how I thought it would go. I should be out preaching. I shouldn't be writing in prison. This is not how I thought God would use me. This doesn't make sense. And so he begins to, to panic. And so he sends some messengers to Jesus. He said, okay, are you the one or should I look for somebody else? I thought you were the Messiah, but now that this has happened, I don't really know. Are you the one or should we look for somebody else? He began to panic because life wasn't what he thought it was going to be. Do, remember, do you remember what John said earlier in his ministry? about Jesus he said he must increase and I must decrease John just didn't know that it was going to mean a prison he didn't know that was going to mean a death sentence he must increase and I must decrease you know we all want to serve God on the mountaintop but if we're not careful we'll panic in the valley if you don't know the ways of God and the heart of God, when unexpected things happen, you will begin to forget in the darkness what God taught you in the light. John knew who Jesus was, but he doubted in the darkness. If you don't know the heart of God, you will question if God's good. You will question if God loves you. You will even question if God's really in control if you don't know the heart of God. But let me just say this to you this morning. Etch this on your heart. God is the same God in the valley as he is on the mountaintop. God is the same God in the valley as he is on the mountaintop. I want to give you one more reason why we need to know the heart of God. So that we will not be powerless. So that we will not be powerless. Paul said, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. You know, there's some athletes who, they, they really major in weightlifting. And they can lift an enormous amount of weight. I mean, they even have contests every year to see who the strongest man in the world is, and they can lift just um, amazing amounts of weight. I mean, I think they can bench press 1,000 pounds or more. It's amazing how much weight they can lift and how strong these men are. I got to thinking about how strong some of these men are. They're strong enough to pick up 1,000 pounds, but some of them are not strong enough to control their temper. Some of them are strong enough to, to lift 1,000 pounds, but they can't control their tongue. They're weak in some ways. 
But let me just say this. God's power is stronger than all the world's strong men put together. And he can empower you and he can empower me to do supernatural things. He can empower you and he can empower me to control our tempers, to control our tongues. Paul said it this way in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. He said, now to him who is able to do exceedingly. And Paul said, wait, wait, exceedingly? No, it's more than that. Exceedingly abundantly. Yeah, uh, exceedingly abundantly. No, it's more than that. Uh, he can do above all that you can ever ask or think according to the power that works in you. Don't you want that kind of power? Well, that power comes from knowing God. Now, you might be asking the question today, then, well, well, how can I know God that way? How can I know God that way intimately? How can I do that? Well, I want to give you four quick things as we wrap up. Number one, determination. You need to have determination. Do you come to God with the determination to know Him? To know Him intimately? Do you come with the determination that God is going to reveal Himself to you if you seek Him? You know, Jeremiah 29 13 says this, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. We must be determined. You know, there are three men that I feel like are the most influential men in Scripture. I don't know if you would agree, but there's three men. But outside of Jesus, Jesus is number one, okay? But outside of Jesus, the three that I think would be the top three are Moses, David, and the Apostle Paul. And you might be wondering what all these guys have in common. They have something in common. They have something that really made them have such an influential impact on the world. There was something that they had in common, and it was a determination. Well, what was their determination? Well, Moses, in Exodus 33, 13, he was alone with God. He was talking to God, and this is what he prayed. He said, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, listen, Show me your ways, that I may know you. Did you see it? He wanted to know God intimately. And then later in a few verses, he says this to God. God, please show me your glory. Show me your glory. I want to know your glory. Moses wanted to know God's ways so that he could know his heart. And then I think about David. David prayed in Psalm 86, 11. Now listen, don't miss it. Teach me your way. Teach me your way. And then he said in Psalm 25, 4, listen to it carefully. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. David had a determination to know God's heart, to know his ways. And then I think about the Apostle Paul there in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. That I may know him. Do you see the determination? Do you see the desire to know him? The second thing you need is God's revelation. As one person put it, you cannot know God by research. You cannot know God by your own reason. You can only know God by his revelation. He's given us his word as his revelation to us so that we can know him personally and intimately. Revelation. And number three, you need isolation. You need to get alone with God so you can know God. You know what Matthew 6, 6 says? It says, Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room 
And when you shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, who is in the secret place. If you want to know God, then you need to get alone with God. If you want to know God, then you need to be in solitude with God. Did you know that Jesus, when he was on earth, he made it a habit of finding times of solitude? Now, I know we're all busy. I get it. Do you not think that Jesus was busy? Everybody was pulling at him, wanting one more thing from him every day. And Jesus made a time to be alone with God. In Luke 5.16, it says that Jesus often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. In Mark 1.35, after Jesus had been healing the sick all day long, the Bible says that Jesus rose a long while before daylight. And he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. Solitude. And then in Matthew chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus had been feeding the multitudes that day and he just needed some time away. And the Bible says that Jesus went on a mountain to pray by himself. And when evening had come, Jesus was alone there. Solitude. You know, the people who know God deeply are the ones who spend time with him in isolation and solitude. Have you ever thought about it? How many saints of God... He spoke to them in those moments of solitude. Let me give you some examples. Abraham was alone whenever God appeared to him in the plains of memory. Moses was alone with God in the desert when he spoke to him through a burning bush. Daniel was alone with God when he appeared to him. Paul was alone in the Arabian desert when God spoke to him. Peter was alone on the rooftop whenever God spoke to him. John The Apostle John was on the Isle of Patmos when God gave him the revelation. Solitude. The most important time you spend each day is the time you spend in isolation. I want to give you one last point is this. You need to come to God with expectation. When you come to worship, do you come with a pen and paper so you can write down what God might teach you that day? I mean, God might speak to you and you, you need to write it down. Last Sunday morning, Mike Gusson was here, and he came to talk to me after the service, and he brought his notebook, and he showed me page after page where he kept notes of every single sermon for the last year in a notebook. Now, you might think, well, I don't need to write it down. I'll remember it. I can remember it. Now, I know I preached some pretty wonderful messages. I know you're going to remember it, right? Well, I know you won't remember it. And the reason I know you won't is because I won't, unless I write it down. The faintest ink is better than the best memory. We need to write it down. When you spend time in God's Word, do you take notes so that you can write down what God says to you? When I read my Bible, I write notes in my Bible because I don't want to forget what God taught me. And when I come back to those verses, I want to remember what God had shown me in those verses. You need to come to your Bible study with expectation. And I want to give you a few practical steps when you open God's Word. Because sometimes people think, well, you know, I read it, but I don't get much out of it. I want to give you about five or six things that you can do to help your knowledge, not only of God's Word, but knowledge of God when you open God's Word. Number one, you need to open the Bible to a particular passage that you're going to study that day. And you need to peruse it. You need to read it through. You need to kind of read that passage. And then after you've read it, after you peruse it, then you need to go back and you need to ponder it. 
You need to think about it. Think about what those verses say. Ask yourself some questions. What is God saying to me in these verses? Is God convicting me of a sin in my life? Is God giving me a command that I need to follow? What does God want me to do differently? How does he want me to serve him differently? Ask yourself some questions about what you just read. You ponder it and you take notes. And then number three, you need to pray it. You need to pray whatever God just taught you. Pray it back to him. You say, God, what does this look like in my life when I live it out? Did y'all know before I ever preach a sermon, and y'all might not believe this, but it's true. Before I preach a sermon, I ask God, is this truth? Do you want me to, to preach this? I ask the Lord at times, I'll say, Lord, do I believe this to be true? And if I don't believe it to be true, I'm not going to share it. I pray it back. You need to take a few moments to pray back what God teaches you. Number four, you need to practice what God tells you to do. Immediately put it into practice. Don't wait. Don't delay. The moment God shows you a truth, you put it into practice right then. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 says this. By this we know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. By this we know. And the last thing is this. You need to pass it on. You need to pass it on. When God teaches you something, you need to share it. That's how you get to know God more intimately. You share it with other people. You tell someone what God's doing in your life and how God's taught you. You know, in just a week we will be inspired. I want to encourage you to come with expectation. Expect God to work in your heart and life. Don't come with an expectation to be fascinated by the music or by the, by the speaker. But come and say, God, I want to know you more intimately. Come with expectation. Let me, let me share with you some ways that you can do that. Beth just told you about our 24-hour day of prayer. In just a moment, when we have our invitation, you're welcome to come and sign up for one of those slots as part of our invitation so that you can begin to Allow God to work in your heart and get you ready for Inspire. The seven-day prayer starts today as well, and you can take that prayer guide and you can utilize it. In fact, if you don't have it and you say, I don't know where I put it, you can go online, and all those resources are on our Inspire webpage. Just go to our FPC webpage, and you'll find Inspire, and all of those things are available. But I can tell you this. You can put these principles into practice today. Determination, revelation, isolation, and expectation. Would you do that? Would you do that? And maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, you know, I'm a follower of Christ, but I don't really know God intimately. I know about Him. I believe in Him. He's my Savior. But I don't really know Him intimately. And maybe this day you need to come and say, God, I want you to give me a determination to know you intimately. Or maybe you're here this, uh, this morning and you say, I don't, I don't even know Christ as my Savior. And maybe today you need to come. I'll be here to talk to you. And maybe you say, well, I don't feel comfortable. Well, as soon as the service is over, find me, find John, find JB, find one of our deacons and tell them you want to know Christ. They can share with you how to know Christ. But don't delay. Would you pray with me? Lord, I want to thank you first and foremost that you allow us to know you. That you want to be known. 
You've made that clear by giving us your word. You've made that clear by giving us the gospel. You want us to know you. You're not trying to hide yourself. You're trying to reveal yourself. And So Lord, we want to know you. Help us to have a heart to know you intimately, personally, progressively. Let us never be satisfied in our relationship. Let it ever be growing. And Lord, I, I know there are people here today that just, they just know you and your activity. They don't know you intimately. They know about your works, but they don't know about your ways. They know all the things that you do, but they don't know you. And so, Lord, I just pray right now, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, would your Holy Spirit just impress it on their heart that they need to surrender to you this morning? And Lord, there may be people in our church that know you, have known you, have Walk with you, but they just do it on a very superficial level. And Lord, maybe you need to challenge them to want to know you more intimately. That we might know you in the power of your resurrection. Lord, help us to respond to you the way that you're leading us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our invitation this morning? You respond how the Lord leads you.